BCNA's Helpline provides a free, confidential phone and email service for people diagnosed with breast cancer. BCNA's experienced team will help with your questions and concerns and provide relevant resources and services. Call 1800 500 258 or email contact at bcna.org.au. Welcome to Upfront About Breast Cancer. Let's be upfront about the side effects of hormone-blocking therapies. About 70% of breast cancers are hormone receptor positive, which means that the breast cancer cells use these hormones to grow. Hormone-blocking therapy is usually prescribed as part of treatment with the aim of reducing the risk of the breast cancer coming back, a new breast cancer developing, or effectively control disease in people affected by metastatic breast cancer. Joining us to discuss the many aspects of hormone blocking therapy is Debbie Packham, who has metastatic breast cancer and has been on hormone blocking medication for four years. Also with us is Ro Woods, who was diagnosed with early breast cancer in October 2020 and has been on hormone blocking therapy for five months. Also joining the conversation is breast cancer nurse Lisa Sharon, who has worked with breast cancer patients for more than two decades. A reminder that this episode of Upfront about breast cancer is unscripted. The topics discussed are not intended to replace medical advice nor necessarily represent the full spectrum of experience or clinical option. So please exercise self-care when listening to this podcast as the content may be triggering or upsetting for some. Welcome to you all. So, Lisa, maybe we could start with you. What is hormone blocking therapy? So, as you said in your introduction, Kelly, we know that over 70% of breast cancers grow with female hormones. We also know that breast cancer is more common in postmenopausal women, and a lot of people find that very strange because they've gone through menopause and they wonder how is a tumour growing because of oestrogen and progesterone. We know that our body fat stores oestrogen, so even though we go through menopause, we still have oestrogen in our body, so that enables when a cell mutates that a cancer can grow. The best cancer treatment we know to try and prevent a recurrence of breast cancer is to actually give an anti-hormone treatment. So we're trying to block any growth of further tumour cells by this, the oestrogen that we store in our body or by oestrogen that's produced in our ovaries when we are premenopausal. So we have um, two sort of mainstays of, of um, anti-hormone treatment. Um, the first was the gold standard treatment, tamoxifen, which is what we prescribed to all women. And in more recent years, we've been using what we term as aromatase inhibitors. So letrozole and arimidex are the more common types of um, aromatase inhibitors that are prescribed. Um, there's also been lots of research done in this setting, and in particular some clinical trials, the SOFT and the TECH studies that have been done that look at using these type of agents in both the premenopausal and the postmenopausal setting. So it's important to know that these drugs, these aromatase inhibitors, are used to treat all women with hormone receptor positive breast cancer. Okay. It's a big topic, isn't it? It's rather huge, and I think sometimes we there can be a flippancy that, oh, you've got an early breast cancer, it's receptor positive, we'll take the tumour out, we'll give you a tablet and you'll be fine. And that's generally not the case. Because quite often we don't associate the old tablet with sometimes 
turning your world upside down, which for so many women, this therapy can really change life for them. Yes, it, it certainly can. And every woman's experience is different. Ro, you were diagnosed with early breast cancer. Tell us your experience with hormone blocking therapy, given that it's only been a few months. My oncologist put me on letrozole and um, I found treatment very difficult. So I thought hormone blockers would be fairly easy and straightforward. But letrozole um, wasn't for me. Um, I was on it for about three and a half months. Um, the first three weeks, um, I thought, oh, well, this seems to be okay. I'm not having any side effects. But um, after that period of time, I started to get bone and joint pain, um, fatigue, um, brain fog that was in addition to the chemotherapy fog I had. Um, the hot flushes were pretty severe. Um, and I would wake up three or four times each night. So um, it, it became quite debilitating for me. And I also uh, suffered quite a bit of depression with it. So it wasn't easy. Um, my oncologist um, gave me a break for a month because uh, I spoke to him and the team and said, it's um, debilitating for me. Um, I had arthritis and uh, the joint pain and bone pain, especially at night, was very difficult to deal with, even with painkillers. Um, so I had a, a month break and now I'm on ex, uh, exemestane. Exemestane. <laughs> yes. And um, I've been on that since uh, the 4th of November, about three and a half weeks, um, nearly a month. And it seems to be okay. It's better for me. Lisa, is that quite common? It is very common um, and the degrees of side effects that people experience can be varying. We know that some people can um, have very, very debilitating symptoms and some can have side effects that are manageable if we tweak things a little bit. Um, but we commonly see, particularly with the aromatase inhibitors, and thank you for um, reminding me that exemestane is another one of those, so there's three main drugs in, in that um, group of drugs. We w would regularly do a drug holiday just to see if side effects improve significantly in that time frame. Um, and then it what might be re-challenging with the same tablet or it might be switching to another one, as was the case for Roe. You mentioned the word tweaking. It's very much an individual experience. And how much tweaking can you do? Well, there is, so there's three different types of aromatase inhibitors and then there's tamoxifen. So sometimes it might be, often we would only tweak between two of the aromatase inhibitors and if symptoms and side effects were still quite debilitating, then we would think about tamoxifen. There's always that discussion about the the risk versus of recurrence versus quality of life. And that's something that should definitely be a conversation that you're having with your oncologist on a regular basis if you are experiencing debilitating side effects. Debbie, tell us about your experience post your diagnosis. Well, so I was put on letrozole as well. Um, and for me, obviously, the side effects, whilst I do have many of those ones that Roe was talking about, obviously are not enough for me to feel debilitated by them. So um, again, I get the odd hot, hot flush, but you know, I wake up, 
put arms and legs out of the blankets, cool off, tuck myself in, go back to sleep. Um, I find that if I'm sitting for a long time, I get up and I feel like I'm an 85-year-old woman, um, but it takes me, you know, a few 20-odd steps and I feel like I'm almost normal again. But so I do have those side effects, but obviously I was one of the lucky ones and so letrozole has been working quite well for me. Have you been on letrozole throughout the last four years? Yes, the whole time. I, um, <laughs> Having said that, it was interesting. The last conversation I had with um, the oncologist and the breast care nurse said, oh, you could take a holiday from it, you know, have a rest. And I said, actually, I don't think I want to. I don't want to feel like my age when I know what I, you know, like I feel like I'm a, I've got the body of an 85, an 85 year old inside a 60 year old's body. And I don't really want to go back to knowing how good I could feel when I'm used to feeling like this. <laughs> That's an interesting take. I probably take, yeah. aren't going, I'm probably not going to want to go back on it. So if it's the different, I mean, if there was a reason for it, then yes, I'd think about it, but I can cope with it at the moment. Um, though I don't exercise as much as I should and I don't do a lot of things like that that I should and I think that that's partly due fatigue again was one of those ones that you mentioned and I think that I get that as well. You know, I work four and a half days a week and by the time I get to Saturday, I'm exhausted. So I spend Saturday really resting and and you know, my body doesn't want to do anything. And I go, okay, I don't have anything to do. I'm happy. So you've really learned how to balance it and know what works and know what doesn't. Yes. For me, that's how I deal with it. So yes. And that seems to work. Can I just say, I think it's, it's such an individual um, decision because um, I think a lot depends on your pre-existing health conditions. I have a pre-existing health condition in it, in addition to dealing with uh, cancer treatment. And um, uh, that has been a long-term health condition. And the arthritis, I think, pay, played a part in, in that as well with the letrozole um, because I had uh, joint and bone pain anyway before I went on it. Lisa, Ro has spoken about some of the debilitating side effects that she experienced. What are some of the other common uh, side effects that people experience on the various therapies? So we certainly know as a general rule, um, when we're giving hormone blocking agents, we are going to generate menopausal symptoms. It's very rare for a woman not to experience some degree of menopausal symptoms. Again, it's an individual thing. Some people can cope. Sticking your feet outside of the bed when you get a hot flush at night time is, is, and if that goes and works, that's great. For some women, it, it can be a, a whole lot worse. And, and we certainly, in the era of more HRT being prescribed and then women getting breast cancer and having to come off the HRT, going on to a hormone blocking agent, their, more, more, their menopausal symptoms were very, very severe. So we, we, you know, it's a step-by-step strategy. It's about sort of coming up with, you know, just common ways of trying to reduce menopausal symptoms. So, you know, just layering your clothes, having plenty of water to drink, not drinking too much coffee, not reducing the amount of alcohol or not taking any alcohol at all. 
Um, and it's a lot of women will then try things like acupuncture or some natural remedies. But we're always asking, certainly in our in our institution, we ask for um, a list of what kind of natural therapies people would like to take because sometimes they can actually interact with the medications they're on or they might have some soy products in them that we would advise against taking. So it's always good to to discuss with your um, medical practitioner and your, your oncologist about about any natural therapies that you think you might like to try. Then there's a range of medications for menopausal symptoms. The most common one that's prescribed is um, venlafaxine. Effexor is the other name for that. It's one of the SSRIs. It's an antidepressant. And sometimes that actually antidepressant um, element of the medication is, is a good thing in, in women that are experiencing debilitating symptoms. And that sort of results... Uh, like in a good reduction of hot flushes for a lot of women, not everybody. There's also a medication called gabapentin. Um, and, you know, in instances where menopausal symptoms are so debilitating, if you're lucky to live in a metropolitan area and you can talk to your oncologist about getting a referral to a menopausal symptoms after cancer clinic, that is great. But I realise we are... Um, Talking to Australia-wide um, breast cancer population and women re living in regional areas that might not have access to that. So talk to your breast care nurse. Everybody should ac have access to a breast care nurse, be that through their own organisation or through the McGrath Foundation, um, because the, it's important that you actually have avenues to try and manage your side effects. Now, I've only spoken about menopausal symptoms and I could talk forever. Uh, I don't know if you want me to address other um, side effects that people are experiencing. Well, have you had other side effects, uh, Rose, since changing uh, your medication? Um, well, I've had um, a bit of bone pain and the fatigue is starting to kick in now, but it's not as bad as letrozole. I, I agree with Debbie. It was, um, it makes you feel um, decrepit. It well it did for me. I mean, I you know, if people experience uh, minor symptoms, that's fabulous. But I didn't. Or even just one symptom or one or two. It sounded like you got the full basket. Well, the the fatigue is very difficult to deal with on a daily basis. And the problem is if you you go to sleep at night and you wake up and you still feel fatigued, um, it's very difficult to um, live a, a, a normal sort of life and do the things that you need to be doing. Um, the brain fog... Uh, with letrozole, as I say, I had chemotherapy at the end of last year um, and I found the brain fog difficult. So I don't know whether the letrozole added to that, added to that brain problem. Um, but I, I certainly don't have it as much now that I'm offered. Do you find, Lisa, that there's so much focus on active treatment that when it comes to uh, the long-term plan of hormone blockers. I think you touched on it before. There's there's not a much as much focus given to it, and it's almost like everyone else moves on. And mm. sometimes, like you were saying, Ro, the fatigue builds up and things aren't great. And, and people expect you to be, you know, okay because you've had the active treatment. And oh, great. Great, you've you've achieved that what you needed to with that. You've had the chemo, the surgery, the radiation therapy, the big stuff, the big stuff, and off you go. There's your tablets, and it you know I mean, um, it's very important to take them. It is really really important to take something, uh, but um, we need to be able to live our lives and 
and take them for five to 10 years. And it is, it's a long-term plan. Did you try any natural or supplementary uh, remedies to try and help you live the life you you want to lead? Well, I found a a great uh, oncology physio um, and I've had um, an oncology massage. Um, But I'm a vegetarian. I actually gave up alcohol when I was diagnosed. I wasn't a a very big drinker, but um, um, I feel a lot healthier for doing that. Um, But I, you know, I have a a diet that I um, that I have changed, and um, I try and eat healthy food and get enough sleep, and and I exercise every day. So I think um, I'm trying to do as much as I possibly can. Mm. Ro, you're a, a lot further into the process. How much longer will you need to be on the therapy? Well, I had a conversation with the oncology people the other couple of weeks ago and I asked exactly that question and they said, well, you've got metastatic cancer, so guess what, honey, you're on it forever. So, um, oh, but you can take a break if you want. (laughs) So I guess I'm in it for the long haul for however long it is. I'm coming up to, as you said, four years, so, and I've survived so far, so... We'll just see, I guess, how it goes in the long term. Um, And you know what you were saying before about how, you know, when I got diagnosed, I went, oh, that's okay. I'll set aside 12 months of my life and I'll fix this in 12 months. And then all the world will be back to normal. And I think when I said that to the oncology people, they just went, they nodded their head and perhaps even rolled their eyes, but they didn't actually say well, but it'll take longer than that. And so, you know, I, I guess you deal with those things as you get to them. And I suppose going, well, 12 months and I'll be okay was a, a way for me to um, segment it and deal with it. But yeah, you know, I don't, I'm not looking at it in for, you know, five or 10 years, I guess I'll be looking at it for as long as I'm around. And hopefully that's more than 10 years. <laughs> Lisa, do you think the mental impact uh, on mental health is big for someone taking hormone blocking therapy? Because of having lots of side effects or just just the fact that they have to take Well, obviously for... in, in Debbie's case, she has to get her head around the fact that she's going to be on it for life. Uh, for Roe, it really affected her, her quality of life. That juggle of when someone suggests a holiday, Debbie has said, well, I'm not too bad, so I'm just going to stick with it. Whereas, Ro, you couldn't really do anything. So you sometimes you do have to take a holiday and quite often we hear that. It must play on your mind a little bit mentally about am I giving the cancer the opportunity to, to come back? And and certainly, you know, um, as Ro alluded to, we know that the this, the goal of, of care is to, is to try to get endocrine therapy happening, hormone blocking therapy happening for five to 10 years, uh, seven years at least, because we know that that's going to have the best impact in trying to prevent a cancer, an early breast cancer recurring. 
And it's very hard to weigh that up in your mind if you're experiencing bad side effects. And having regular conversations is important with your oncologist and with your breast care nurse and certainly within the public system when you have finished your active treatment like your surgery and your chemotherapy and your radiotherapy. You'll start your medication. You might have a three-month review with your oncologist in the public system and then it's every 12 months. So you're kind of out there on your own. And it's important that you at least have somebody that you can touch base with if you are struggling. And that's where the breast care nurses come in. And GPs are also extremely good at managing a lot of these side effects that patients experience. And there's always the BCNA helpline too. Of course. Um, so with the, and, and I think probably BCNA should be at the top of every person's list because it's a, it's a nationwide organisation, whereas breast care nurses are very good at knowing what's, what's available within their own states or within their own cities. But BCNA is there for everybody. So that's very important. BCNA's online network is an active peer-to-peer support community where people affected by breast cancer can find information and connect with others who understand what you're going through. Read posts, write your own, ask a question, start a discussion and support others. The online network is available for you at every stage of your breast cancer journey, as well as your family, partner and friends. For more information, visit bcna.org.au forward slash online network. Ro, how did you go when you had that break? Well, I was quite nervous about it. Um, I think anybody would be. Um, But I did feel better very quickly. I started to feel like myself again. I started to have energy um, and the bone pain, the the, the joint pain wasn't as bad. I was sleeping better. And it just gave me, because the um, treatment had been since last October, um, it gave me a chance to just take a breather. How long was the break for? It was for a month. Yeah. But the thing is, I reached out to everybody. I reached out to BCNA. I reached out to the McGrath Foundation. Um, I've got a fantastic GP and I have a therapist that is helping me with the depression who is fabulous. Um, I've got uh, the oncology physio. The Cancer Council have been great. Their support line's been great. You know, BCNA has been wonderful. I love the podcasts, the webcasts, um, the webinars. Um, It's, if you, the help is there. You've just got to know where it is and you've just got to, you've got to put your hand up and, um, and go for it, really. Um, I just want to touch um, on what Ro was saying about the, the joint pain and the, the stiffness because that is a very, very common side effect for all women who are on aromatase inhibitors and the degree of that obviously is, is different from, from person to person. Um, and you definitely, like the fatigue obviously on, on top of that joint pain and you talk about exercising every day, we would from the get-go prescribe exercise as a way of managing joint pain and it sounds ridiculous in particular for women who come in with a history of arthritis or really bad bony pain anyway um, the evidence clearly tells us that that exercise will actually impact on your bony pain and your your fatigue levels but what kind of exercise you can do obviously varies from person to person um, one good strategy that you can use is to get access to an exercise physiologist that knows about managing um, cancer symptoms and side effects um, 
through your GP, you can get a chronic disease health care management plan and that will give you access to a Medicare funded, not fully funded, but Medicare funding just to meet with an exercise physiologist who can design an exercise program for each individual person and that might be for that woman who has very bad arthritis some water aerobics or just exercises to do in water so it's low based activity and and less painful for a you know a regime for for an individual person that comes under the allied health it does yes can Great. i just add to that perhaps that um in my head I'd always been told how good exercise was. So when I finished my active treatment, I tried really hard to find some sort of exercise that, or some people that can help me with exercise. I'd never been to a gym in my life because, you know, I was active. I didn't feel like I needed to. Um, That took me, I reckon, 12 to 18 months to find some sort of exercise people that actually got where I was and what I was doing. And I hunted high and low through exercise physiologists, through the BCNA, through um, all sorts of different organisations to try and find it. And it was really, really difficult. I had to be really disciplined to to want to find it. Um, And then I had sorted stuff out. I'd live in the country now as opposed to the city when all this was happening. So I'd also found myself an exercise physiologist in the country and was going along well. And then COVID rocked up and you couldn't do your group sessions anymore. And so really for the last two years, I haven't done anything. So now I need to find it all over again. And it's a very, for me, it's been a terribly frustrating thing to do. I think COVID has done that a lot for particularly people not in active treatment, trying to get that momentum back and the the support. Where did you, you found, said you found it difficult finding that sort of support. What about emotional support? Where, how have you, have you found kindred spirits in the metastatic group? Do people understand, do you think? Mm, I haven't sought out much mental sort of, support I suppose maybe I'm just <laughs> big-headed and determined <laughs> and just do what I want to do I, at one stage actually I suggested to the the public hospital that I was at that it would be really nice to have a group of people that I could talk to um, and they turned around and said that I could organize it myself if that was really what I wanted to do which well, I had some positives, I suppose, but also I didn't feel particularly helpful and at that stage I wasn't up for it either. So I tend mostly to stay away from, you know, cancer support groups and stuff like that and just find the support in my family and within myself and maybe a little bit with some work colleagues and friends. What about you, Ro? Have you, with your severe uh, side effects? Have you been able to find support, advice, or just someone who gets it uh, in in support groups? Well, I'm very fortunate that I have a, a close friend who's been through breast cancer, and um, um, she's five years down the track now, but she put me on to BCNA. And um, it just, you know, it was just a coincidence that she's had it. She's been through it. So I was fortunate to have her. Um, But, you know, it's a balance between 
um, wanting to identify, wanting to um, get your life back and be who you are as a person and also um, get the support you need with your cancer journey. And, um, you know, nobody really wants to be the person with the C on their forehead. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, I think um, it's an individual choice, but the support is there. The McGrath Foundation um, nurses have been fabulous. Um, um, My oncology nurse where I had my, um, my, uh, where my oncologist is based is, uh, is, is supportive. Um, Cancer Council's been great. Um, It's just a matter, I mean, there are support groups out there. It's just a matter of whether you feel the need to, to reach out or not. I think like you've both pointed out, it's about knowing where to go. There's a lot out there in the space. There's always Dr. Google, which is a bit of a rabbit hole. Lisa, do people struggle between knowing what's expected with hormone blocking therapy treatment and so what's normal, so to speak, or whether it's in their head? Because the the depression issue sometimes might not be foreseen. Like if you've got a sore arm or you've got the aches and pains, you can go, ouch, and try to pinpoint that or link it to a hormone therapy. When it comes to your mental health, Sometimes you question whether this is just you or like like you said, Ro, is it the the fog from chemo or is it the the hormone blocking? And look at you know every case is 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 different and individual and and um, you know I th- I think a lot depends on how readily each woman is wanting to reach out and knowing who to reach out to. We as certainly the medical oncology team will provide information about the common side effects once you start on endocrine therapy or hormone blocking agents and like everything like I certainly I think for most people when they start medication oh that won't happen to me that won't happen to me I'll be fine I'll be fine and particularly if you've had surgery and radiotherapy and it's you know you've got an early breast cancer treatment is easy you will be fine um it can be a bit of a shock when when you do experience some bad side effects. Knowing who to reach out to and who to talk to is really important. Um, as I said, it's often that you don't have very regular catch-ups with your medical oncologist, but you know, the reaching out to BCNA, to the Cancer Council, to your breast care nurse, they can link you in with with the people that can support you. Um, but all of the public hospitals should ha- have access to psychology teams in particular for a lot of those mental health issues. And, and um, in particular, that whole idea of if I stop my medication for a long time, that fear of a, cur- for a break and fear of recurrence, you know, that, that that's very well documented as, as, as being quite an issue for a lot of women. Um, some it, it is such a subjective thing and people like to just cope and get on with things like themselves by themselves like Debbie's doing and and it's not always a case that you should talk to other people or this is the best way of doing it there's only one way of doing it and that's your own way you know there's there's no right and there's no wrong and i think that like that's something that i say to all of the patients that i see you know it this is this is your cancer journey and i don't particularly like the word cancer journey but there's nothing better than that what we've shown too is through survivorship clinics. That's where we can pick up a lot of the issues and the side effects that women are experiencing. We do a lot of referrals out of that um, because at that point in time, 
people are being their new normal. They're getting back on back into their norm their normal lives or their new normal lives and um and struggling to do that. So um being being able to reach out, being confident to reach out and knowing who to speak to is just really important. How long do you leave it before reaching out? So how long do you suffer with some side effects before you think you should go and speak to someone about addressing it? So it's, again, it's such an individual thing. Um, the So the side effects that, that women experience are menopausal symptoms intensified. And so joint pain happens to all women going through menopause. So you get out of bed in the morning and you're stiff and sore and then you walk and you, you're fine. And you might have a slightly stronger version of that and you just get on with it. But if it's, if it's a case that... Every single thing you do in your day is impacted by the medication that you're taking. If your life is, if you're asking yourself every single day, this is really hard. I can't do this. I have to do this. I don't want my cancer to coming back to come back. I'm going to put up with it. And then you're still asking yourself, how can I do this? You know, that, that you, that's the time to reach out. Um, you know, there's there are so many different ways of managing different side effects. And, you know, we can even a, dr- a drug holiday, a break just might be sufficient enough just to to revamp yourself, get some exercise happening and re-challenging with the same medication. People can be fine. You know, there's there's lots of different ways to manage it. But um, we can't know if we don't know what we don't know unless you tell us we can't actually support and help. So Rose had a holiday if you like. How often can you have a holiday with hormone blocking therapy? So um, there are some oncologists that sort of um, very few, but that might think of it like the, the oral contraceptive pill and have a little bit of a break every year. If peop- It depends really on how people are managing and whether their side effects are um, you know, okay and they're getting on with their lives because the benefit is being on that medication every day for Five, we say five to ten years, you know, we're getting emerging evidence now from, from the clinical trials that were done that, you know, seven to ten years is, is definitely the, the gold standard. But everything is a discussion with your oncologist if there's a problem or um, reaching out to your breast care nurse or to the, the Breast Cancer Network helpline just to seek um, advice. Can I just say, with um, changing from letrozole to another medication, I was a bit concerned because I thought, well, the oncologist actually thinks that letrozole is the best medication for me and changing that medication, is this the second best medication for me? And a case of whether it's no pain, no gain, should you suffer for the best medical outcome whilst really not being able to live the life that you want? Mm. So what was the outcome? Did you ask him that? Well, the thing is, I I was having such a hard time on it. I thought, you know, it's it's worth giving something else a go. And I didn't know whether I could go back on to letrozole and whether the side effects would be less. I wasn't quite sure about that. Maybe Lisa, would you know about that? Well, again, it's very individual. We don't know, you know, it's and it's only if we try it. And, you know, there, there's no evidence really that, that Arimidex is, is more inferior to letrozole, just more commonly letrozole is prescribed first. Just that. The, but the, it's, an, it's an oncologist's preference, you know, so one oncologist will always prescribe Arimidex first. So, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about it. You're on the correct therapy and you're getting through and managing your side effects and you just need to reach out if you need more assistance with that. How do you feel about facing hormone therapy for another seven years, Roy? Well, I think it's, some, it's a choice that I've made. I mean, I understand some 
people choose not to carry on with it. But I just think that my thinking is if I didn't have the medication and the cancer came back, how would I feel about that? And I would rather just continue on with the medication, deal with side effects and um, and just try and um, and get on with my life and hopefully I'll get used to what side effects that do come up and uh, I'll uh, take it a step at a time. What about you, Debbie? I mean, you've mentioned not really wanting to upset the apple cart, so you've, you've accepted some of the limitations that your hormone therapy places on you. You know that you're going to be on it forever. I How do you deal with that? Well, I still don't think I like the idea of being on it forever and I will in the future sometime have more discussions about I, I I'm a bit of a scientific sort of person so I when I go to see somebody I ask a lot of questions and if I don't like the answers I'll go away and I'll think about them and I'll ask the questions again in a different way so that's my way of feeling like I'm in control of my cancer journey trip whatever it's a horrible word um and so, yes, questions and questions and questions. And I will, I think, at some stage be asking questions about how beneficial is it? How much, what's the chances? What's the risks? What's the odds? What's the percentages? Um, but I'm not quite there just yet. Um, and we should mention that you actually have no evidence of disease at the moment. That's exactly right. Yes. So something's working. Yes, something is working. Whether, but you know, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? How do we know that it's the hormone therapy that's actually doing it, or did they get rid of it all before and now it's not here anymore? Or and they are all the questions that you ask all the time. And as Ro just said, if it did come back and I hadn't been taking it, then how would I feel? But if it does come back and I have been taking it, well, then how will I feel about that as well? And there are always those questions that you keep asking yourself and trying to find the balance that works for each person. And that's what it is. It's what feels right for you at the time, I think. You must get that a lot, Lisa. Absolutely. And that was very well put by Debbie. Like it really is. It's it's finding that fine balance, you know, between, you know, what are the what are the risks and those side effects that I'm experiencing versus the benefit. We know from clinical trials that these medications do work. Um, and in your case, Debbie, you know, you've had a, a really great resolution. Mm. And that, you know, we certainly don't see that in all cases. And, you know, we, we would be encouraging you to keep going with your medication as long as you can. But, you know, maybe with that option of a, of a month off therapy. Again, that's that's a, around how your psyche sees all of that, because would a month off make you think, oh, what if it comes back? You know, so we have to it, it, it's an individual balance and it's talking with your health professionals to help you find that balance. And that is another question that I'm going to be asking, because recently had a bone density scan to find that my bone density has gone down. So I was, you know, like one of the questions that at the next appointment I have will be, if I take a break, will that give me more energy in order to start up an exercise program and to get that sort of 
um, head start on that, I suppose, where it's not as hard, as difficult to do and as much stiffness as I have, will that make a difference? So it's a question that I will ask and um, see what the answer, see what they say. I actually had a bone density test before I started medication. So I would have um, be able to gauge uh, the change in my bones before and after. I, you know, I think that's a good idea if you can have it. Is, and is that's it? a standard thing before starting any aromatase inhibitors. We would do bone density scans, uh, particularly in, in the postmenopausal setting, um, not necessarily in, in premenopausal women. Um, what we do know is that the aromatase inhibitors do impact bone density and a lot of women will get osteopenia and many will get osteonecrosis. Or, um, sorry, osteoporosis, get the words right. Um, and um, we will all, we will monitor that and we can do bone density scans every 12 months to see how that's going. And in the situation of osteoporosis, we can talk about bone strengthening agents, which are very frequently prescribed in this setting. That's also really well managed by GPs because women in the community get osteoporosis as they age and GPs are very good at managing that. Lisa, you've spoken about the necessity to communicate with your team, GP or whoever the health professional is. Should you ever just stop taking it? Do you have an issue with people who just stop? Look, it's preferable that you don't just stop. And we know that it can be a struggle for lots of women to stay on medication. If you're considering stopping, can you please get in touch with one of your health professionals? We can book you in for an appointment to see your oncologist, just at least to have the conversation about can we support you to stay on medication? Is there something that we could advise you to do? We will never force anybody to stay on medication if they don't wish to, but each woman needs to be aware of the potential risks if they don't take their medication. Thank you to all of you for sharing your, your skills and your experience today. A podcast on hormone blocking that was brought to you with thanks to Dry July. For more information, BCNA's My Journey has a range of resources on this topic. To sign up, visit myjourney.org.au. And don't forget, for peer-to-peer support, head to BCNA's online network. You can join via the BCNA website. For more podcasts, you can subscribe to ensure you never miss an episode and leave a rating and review. And if you have a few minutes, fill out the survey that you will find in the show notes. This helps us to tailor and create content that's relevant to you. Thanks for joining us on Upfront. I'm Kelly Curtin. See you next time. Looking for practical information to help you make decisions about your diagnosis, whether DCIS, early or metastatic breast cancer? BCNA's My Journey features articles, webcasts, videos and podcasts about breast cancer during treatment and beyond to help you, your friends and family as you progress through your journey. It also features a symptom tracker to help you manage the changing symptoms you may encounter during your own breast cancer experience. My Journey. Download the app or sign up online at myjourney.org.au.